Welcome to Big Data Small Talk, where we take the vast and complex world of data and break it down to bit-sized accessible conversations. Each episode is featured by leaders in the fields of data science, AI, or data engineering, as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities around data. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. Welcome to Explaining Distributed Systems Like I'm Five. I am Sabrina, developer advocate at Chikuto, and I will be your host for today's discussion. If you ever heard other episodes of Big Data Small Talk, you know we're all about diving deep into a complex topic while keeping it light and fun, which is exactly what we're doing here today with this topic. And we've got an experienced lineup of speakers who are ready to take us inside the world of distributed systems. Now, distributed systems might sound very complex, but trust me, they're crucial in today's sex landscape, and we wouldn't be able to efficiently scale many data projects without it. I mean, just imagine trying to solve like this giant jigsaw puzzle all by yourself. It would probably take forever, but distributed systems are like having this team of friends helping you put the pieces together and making these complex tasks faster and more manageable. Today we're gonna do our best to break it down for you so that even a five-year-old could understand. So before we dive deep into the world of distributed systems, let me just quickly tell everyone about Chikuto, who is bringing this series of spaces to us. Chikuto is an end-to-end data platform made to allow data scientists to focus on data science. Our mission is to help data teams overcome the hassle that it comes with building, maintaining, and deploying a complex data project. And we also integrate all open source tools needed to make working with data and distributed systems as efficient as possible. So you can learn more about us on shakuto.io and dive deeper into what we do. And heading to our incredible panel here today, I'd like first to thank you, all of you, for being here. and. If you could just take a quick moment to introduce yourself to the audience and talk a bit about your experience, especially with distributed systems, so we understand a little bit more about how you got involved with it, that would be great. And I think we can start from the beginning here on my screen, the order on my screen here. Sage, would you like to go first and introduce yourself? Oh boy, I get to go first. It's exciting. Also, just making sure you can hear me, right? Perfect. We can hear you. Awesome. Yep. My name is Sage Elliott. I'm a machine learning and MLOps evangelist at Ylabs. We build tools that enable data and ML observability throughout your pipeline and help you debug models that are in production. I'm sure we'll touch on this maybe a little bit later. We have a really cool open source project called Ylogs. You can look it up on GitHub that can create profiles of your data sets and it works well with big data and distributed systems. And I know Kevin, one of our other panelists, actually did a really cool blog post on it using Fugue and Ylogs that I recommend reading. And then before working at Ylabs, I was working on an MLOps platform around computer vision, and uh, it was used across a whole bunch of different industries. So it was fun to see, you know, kind of the problems, the different problems industries have. Sometimes our models were deployed on edge devices, other times they're in a big scalable distributed system. And uh, I actually got my start in tech as a hardware engineer, and then I moved into software engineering, back to hardware engineering, and then I got into computer vision and machine learning to solve problems. And then obviously when I went to deploy those things, I ran into all these MLOps issues and, uh, and then decided to keep going deeper in the field. And that led me to my work at Ylabs. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sage. And I am just looking up for Kevin's article to leave it in the description for those of you who want to, to read it. And yeah, amazing story there for Sage. And I think heading over to Nicholas, Hello, thank you for being here. Would you like to tell a little bit about yourself to everyone? Sorry, just give me one second. Just give me for now. I'm going to be back to you. No worries. We can head over to Stella. Stella, how are you? Please introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Stella, head of product here at Shukla. Excited to be here today and chat with all the awesome guests here today. At Shakuto, we work with the distributed system all day without customers. We use tools like Spark, Dask, Ray, and Fugue for various use cases. You can choose different tools, which we'll, we'll dive in a bit today. Yeah, I, that's short, short introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much. And Kevin, hello. Thank you for being here. Would you like to introduce yourself to 
the audience. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I, I start, my name is Kevin. I started as a data scientist for four years. And then in the second role as a data scientist, I worked with a bunch of larger data sets. So I had to start using Spark. And then since then, I started getting more involved in open source. And I maintain a project called Fugue, which is a unified interface to that brings Python, Pandas, and SQL code to Spark, Dask, and Ray. So we want to simplify working with these distributed computing tools. And most recently, I was at another open source startup called Prefect, which is, if you know Apache Airflow, is in that same space, workflow orchestration. So creating your engine, data engineering pipelines. And Prefect also orchestrated tasks on top of like Dask or Array. So it also used distributed computing. Oh yeah, I am actually a little bit familiar with Prefect. I think Stella is a bit more than, than I am, right, Stella? But yeah, amazing. Well, I think that that's great for the introductions. Nicholas, can you speak yeah. with us now? Oh, yeah, over to you. Hey, uh, my name is Nicholas Perez. I'm software engineer at Google right now. But like before Google, I was like software engineer, which was a data platform, like kind of like the same of cloud data. So I'm I'm kind of like Apache Apache Spark contributor back then, also Apache Trio contributor back there. Did a lot of like work in MobileDB, uh, which is a distributed database. Yeah, been doing software engineer for the last eleven years or so. I'm I'm Google now doing software engineer with distributed system with Google internal things, which are like completely different like most people see outside. But yeah, let's see let's see how this goes. <laughs> That's amazing. And we can see we have such a technical line of speakers here today. You guys have amazing experiences with distributed systems and the LOPs and just amazing background. And I'm excited to just dive deep into the questions. So let's just go. And let's start from the beginning, right? I'd like to first hear from you guys the definition of distributed systems. So it's not easy for junior developers or non-technical people to understand this concept right? It's, it's a quite complex concept, but how would you describe what are distributed systems and what problems do they solve? What created this need for us to use distributed systems? So who wants to take this one first? Just feel free to open the mic and start speaking, or I can pick one of you to go. Okay, I can give it a try first. When we code on our laptops, we have access to the RAMs and CPU on the on the one computer, and that's limited. On a distributed system, there are just many, many other computers connected with each other so we can use in the one system. They communicate with, with each other and coordinate in what they do. But with distributed system, we have, well, obviously more computer RAM and can handle a much larger amount of data heavy tasks. And another thing is even if one node within the system fails, the entire task can still continue and sometimes recover. With distributed systems, to me, is needed because the amount of data that are available nowadays are just growing substantially to the extent that if we don't have it, then it's going to take unreasonable amount of time to finish whatever we were doing today. So when it's too slow, distributed, that's what my initial try is. Yeah, that's a very good definition in terms of distributed compute, right? The amount of compute that is necessary to process the amount of data that we have today is really high. And we can see these days, I think, much more easily with all these AI technology coming out, which all require a lot, lots of amounts of data. Sage, would you like to, to go next and, and tell us a little bit about the definition of distributed systems and what are they trying to solve? Yeah, and I actually liked your, the, I think at the beginning, you'd mentioned a puzzle analogy, like if you're trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle yourself, it could take, you know, let's say 10 hours or something like that, but you invite a friend over, and then maybe it takes five hours, and maybe you invite another friend over, and then it takes, you know, half of that. So having a distributed system, just like Stella was saying, you know, allows you to have kind of more compute and scale up to train these larger models and process large amounts of data. So right now, I don't think you could probably train chat GPT just on your laptop. You'd need many, many more resources. So another way of putting it too, if you've ever trained like a deep learning model before for something like computer vision, you read in all those images 
let's say you had, you know, a thousand images and you can only load 32 at a time in your GPU, you with distributed computing, you could access, you know, hundreds of GPUs a, a, across resources and load all those images in much faster and, and decrease your training time significantly. And I think also Stella had mentioned like fault tolerance as one of the, the nice use cases as well. So like if you had a node go down, you know, it doesn't mean your whole system's down. You also get a geographical dis distribution. So you might have nodes, you know, placed in different regions around the world where it can really improve, improve a latency for your ML model predictions. Yeah, for sure. Those are also great examples of how this all works together. I think it's very easy to understand why. Kevin and Nicholas, would you like to add anything to, to this question as well, or can we jump to the next one? I, I, I guess I'll just, I'll just really quickly add ab ab about what problems they solved. I mean, from a data perspective, it's either, yes, your data doesn't fit on a local machine, which is more common. But then the other use case, I think, that we, we haven't touched as much on is the, the problem where, for example, you have, let's say, 10 machine learning models you want to train, and each one of those machine learning models takes one hour. Instead of running them sequentially, you can run them distributedly now and bring that total training time down, right? So even if your data is small enough to fit in a single machine, there are still compute-bound problems that make sense to bring to the distributed setting. Oh, I love this take as well. Nicholas, would you like to add something? Right. Let's jump to the next one. I don't think Nicholas can hear us right now. But yeah, the next question is actually about the amount of data that we're dealing with. So. As we are progressing into this digital age and technology is becoming more and more advanced, the amount of data that we're dealing with is also exponentially growing, right? I mean, I, I heard this research that an estimate of 90% of all data that we have today was created in the last two years. That is crazy. And with this in mind, do you guys think that the need for distributed systems is also increasing because of that, because of needing to process all these new data available and making models a little bit more perhaps efficient or uh, Sage, I know that you hit a thumbs up there. Do, would you like to go first? I mean, in a, a short answer, I think that there, there is more of a demand for distributed systems right now because we're just seeing, especially I feel like in the, in the last year, you know, an explosion of like large ML applications, you know, across a whole bunch of different industries. That being said, you know, they're not always the thing you need to choose. And it depends on, you know, a whole bunch of different factors around how you're deploying your machine learning models. But just a short answer, I'd say, I, I think the demand is going up. Demand is going up. Stella, I know that you mentioned the demand is also going up. Would you like to elaborate a little bit more? Yeah, our patience is going down as well, and we need things fast. Time is, yeah, and then that combination of things makes us want to distribute. Yeah, for sure. People want things faster each time, right? We know that we're not very happy when an AI model or just websites in general take too long to load something. So yeah, this is definitely a huge aspect of distributed system, just making things faster in general. Kevin, would you like to, to add anything on why this need is increasing for distributed systems? Yeah, yeah. So actually, I think it's pretty interesting because when you define, like the simple definition of big data is anything that doesn't fit on your laptop, right? And over time, I think the bar for big data has increased because our laptops have gotten more powerful, or maybe you're spinning up, you know, a machine on the cloud and you that you can spin up something with like 32 gigs of RAM or 64 gigs of RAM. So now we're starting to see the 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 level of big data is like increasing. And then the second thing that we're also seeing is that the local tooling is becoming better so that you can process more data uh, outside of your memory limits or outside of your compute limits with tools like DuckDB or Polars. So from a memory bound perspective, I, I don't think distributed computing is becoming like more, Im like you need it more immediately. The bar is certainly getting pushed where you can introduce it later. But I think in general with the level of, you know, the data industry and practice maturing, now we're starting to see more sophisticated modeling and more of these compute bound type problems. So I think from that side, we're definitely seeing an increase in demand for distributed. Yeah, it seems like 
everybody agrees. Nicholas, do you also agree? The need for distributed systems is increasing. And I think people are starting to learn about it a little bit more, right? Yeah, I mean, but I, at the same time, I think like it has been increasing for the last, what, 10, 15 years. So <laughs> it's not something new. It's just like people are more aware of it. I mean, if you think about it, when, when MapReduce came came to life, like, what, 15, almost 20 years ago? That was, like, when the actual need started. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, like, use people are more aware of it right now. Yeah, I think all these new data coming in and having to work more and more, I think it's becoming more common to work with large amounts of data than it was back then, right? Sage, would you like to, to speak? Oh, I was just going to say, kind of echo what Kevin said, where I think, yeah, the the availability of all these tools now and data, like you were saying too, I think more and more data exists that people can start using, but also there's just really great tools out to work with big data and distributed systems, which does make it easier. And just like Nicholas was saying, everyone's becoming more aware of it. And now there's definitely like an ecosystem of tools that makes it easier for developers to, to start using it. Yeah, I so think, I, I think, oh um, yeah, go ahead, Nicholas. <laughs> I think that the, the other the other thing that's happening is like using it is becoming easier, and and that's why people are approaching to it like you know from from a different point of view, right? So you you go back, it's like this is not something new. This has been going on for the last fifteen years, but it was like really hard for the tooling that we had like ten fifteen years ago to be used by the general public, right? So there was like very specialized kind of like job or specialized kind of like skills that now a lot of people can get because all the tooling that is being created is way easier to use. This is actually a great take. Could you name a few tools that are making our life easier right now to work with distributed systems? I mean, like, I don't know. But like, if you think about it, like, use the, use the fact that you can use like SQL queries basically on top of most of the tools that we have today for distributed compute, that is like amazing to me. It, it doesn't matter what the engine you're using, if you're able to use SQL on top of it, it, that's pretty good, right? So, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't do that before. Like, like who, who, who supported like SQL queries on top of like data? Just like a few vendors, right? That's now very common across the industry, across the, any, any, most of the tools, I would say. I, yeah. I want to try, chime in here with, with what Nicholas is saying in that tooling is becoming easier. I think like, yes, Spark existed, you know, for the last eight to 10 years, but Spark from eight years ago is different from the Spark today significantly, right? So the Spark today is much more, is, is really a lot easier. I mean, there, it still can be a bit clunky for people who are less experienced, but the API today that's user-facing is a lot simpler a lot more limited in scope than what was available and a lot higher level than what was available, you know, seven, eight years ago. I absolutely agree for the longest time, there's a barrier to, to get started to learn Spark, to use it. And there are many people who use Dask just because of it's easier and closer to Pandas. And now there, there are so many other tools like all the, all, all of you have mentioned and, and, and there are even other wrappers like the the Fugue Kevin has been mentioning that that can you can don't even have to change anything and you, you're doing all you can use all of them with the one interface. So this is amazing. Yeah, I was just gonna mention that as well. We have so many tools also abstracting the complexity of distributed systems, but just working with data in general. And actually, Kevin here is, is working on something that does just that, right, Kevin? It's few. Um, so, yeah, how has it been working or building few so far, would you say? Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess I'll, I'll elaborate a bit here. So when, when we talk about like abstracting away distributed systems, there's a couple. I mean, Fugue is not, Fugue is what I work on, but it's by no means the only tool out there, of course. I think it's the best because I'm biased, but just to mention other like frameworks out there, for example, you have Modin and Koalas or PySpark Pandas now, it was renamed. So these guys, they provide a Pandas interface. You just change your import. So, and then it can run, it brings your Pandas code over to Spark Dask Array, right? So there, there are also these Pandas abstractions. And then the other one I'll mention also is IBIS. So like IBIS, for example, is a, like a Python-based in interface to 
that wraps around maybe SQL Alchemy. So, but then it also allows you to run code on top of, let's say, Spark or let's say Pandas. So there are these tools also. And then Fugue, what I work on, of course, is it lets you, we have both Python and SQL as first class interfaces, and you can use, you can write your code in native Python or Pandas, and we'll be able to bring it with a minimal wrapper, like just like maybe one, two to three extra lines of code, we can bring that to Spark Dash array for you. So working on it, I think primarily the, I, I don't think that it's, it's that challenging for an individual developer to, let's say, learn Spark within maybe a week and maybe start, you know, building Spark pipelines. I think that's perfectly fine. But the problem with the working with, let's say, Spark, for example, is that when you write Spark code, your, your, your execution can, is tied to maybe a cluster or even on local Spark, it's pretty heavy to use. So what we advocate for is using is, is, is developing as much as possible on your local system. And then when you're ready, bring it over to Spark Dask Array when you're ready to scale out. And by doing that, you're, you can test more on the local system. You can iterate a lot faster. And then you can separate out your business logic from your distributed computing logic, which also helps a lot with debuggability. Well, that's a great point there. Setting up your local environment to handle distributed systems in general can be definitely a hassle. I mean, I think Sage would know better how to talk about this, but this is one of the big problems on MLOps, like creating machine learning models. Today, I think training is only at least 5% of the whole machine learning lifecycle. And the other 95% is actually setting up your environments. It's is actually deploying and maintaining everything. So it's quite complex stuff. Would you like to talk a little bit about the MLOps side of things, Sage, on distributed systems and the actual infrastructure behind it? Yeah, we could talk quickly about that. Just to recap, like you were saying, there's kind of some complexities of the whole MLOps flow or whatever you want to call it right now. And then most people will say like MLOps or machine, machine learning DevOps, which is kind of the... the practice or use machine learning and DevOps types things to enable you know, reproducible or reliable deployment and management and hopefully some sort of monitoring of your machine learning models in production. And there's a lot of great tools now that make it easier. Just like we were saying, it's actually a great time for it because there's so many tools that help solve kind of the problems you're going to run into. But at a bare minimum, just like you were saying, you know, usually a small part of machine learning or putting in production is, is actually the training piece. But often you'll want to kind of create a deployment training loop. It does depend on your application, but usually you're going to be collecting new data, probably from production, labeling that data, retraining that model and comparing it over time and kind of building this tight deployment test and train loop really helps you iterate fast, especially if you're kind of maybe in a startup environment or just somewhere that wants to move really fast. And at the bare minimum, you should probably have something like data and model version control, um, some sort of workflow or orchestration which can help with those deployment pieces into a distributed system and then some sort of ML monitoring. And so if you've done software engineering before, you can kind of think of that as like, you know, the data and model versioning is kind of like code versioning, except for, for data and models, instead of hard coding something, it's learning. So that's kind of like GitHub. And then for your workflow orchestration, that might be kind of similar to like a CI DC system. And then you could kind of think as ML monitoring as logging. So right now in most software, you're probably gonna have all three of these steps and like logging's crucial. Like you wanna know when your system goes down. Like if Amazon's store page goes down, they're probably losing a lot of money. And you know, that's similar for a lot of machine learning use cases now too. And I think people are, you know, catching on that, oh, we need monitoring to know when like data drift happens or our, our model just isn't performing correctly. So those are kind of the, the bare minimum three things I'd say you're probably gonna have in your MLOps stack. When it comes to distributed systems, Obviously, having something that can help you with resource allocation, you know, Kubernetes is one of the most popular tools probably to help with that. And you have like data management, like everyone's, everyone's talking about, you have big data, it can't just live in one laptop anymore. So it's got to be usually distributed across, you know, different centers. And there's, again, great tools for that. You know, probably one you've heard of is like Hadoop. And then you want to have scalability across kind of the... The system. So if you're getting high demand for your predictions, let's say, and you want to scale out your model into other GPUs to handle those, um, 
you know, there's a lot of great tools around that and built into a lot of the popular deep learning frameworks. Like if you're using TensorFlow or PyTorch, you know, they're kind of easier or easy to set up to do distributed computing now and using like multiple GPUs or training on multiple GPUs. And then if you're in a distributed system, your deployment deployment is probably a little bit more complex. So using stuff like workflows, like we had mentioned, you know, there's a lot of great tools that can kind of help deploy to those cont containers like Kubernetes, like you've probably heard of Kubeflow or Flight or something like that. And then monitoring in the distributed system depends on what you want to monitor exactly. But like we, we had even mentioned, there's the blog post that Kevin did about using Ylogs and Fugue for some of that. So there's obviously other, other tools, but just like Kevin, I'm biased. I think Ylogs is a great tool for, for monitoring and data logging. And then also, you know, something to keep in mind, especially like some of the industries I've worked with, security and compliance, I mean, should be top of mind for everyone, but in certain industries like healthcare or finance or something like a DOT or military application, you know, you can't just go and use any distributed system or cloud to run your applications on. So you need to make sure that, you know, you're using the right application for your type of data and that it's going somewhere that your industry is okay with. And that might sound scary. Like there's a lot of stuff I went through super quick. I'm sure I could talk for an hour just on, you know, all these, but just like we mentioned, there's so many uh, great tools and resources right now to kind of help you with all these things like Fugue and Ylogs, Kubernetes. I think Ray and Dask has come up a lot. So, you know, don't worry too much about it. Or, I mean, you should worry about it, I guess, implementing it, but there's a lot of tools and resources to help you now. So it's a lot less scary, I think, than it was, you know, like five years ago or something. I do agree with you, Sage, and just remembering to take one step at a time. I think we talked about a lot of tools that help in specific steps of the deployment or the MLOps process or, or just a data project process from like monitoring to deploying to like actually gathering the data or Spark for distributed compute. But it's also nice to mention that there are tools that help you all the way through with these other tools so you don't have to set the whole thing yourself right and this is actually exactly what Shakuro is trying to do so Shakuro tries to make this same environment where you can use all of these tools and, and use it in a way that everything is already integrated so you actually get these tools in one place and don't have to set up one by one separately and figure the whole thing out by yourself Stella would you like to talk a little bit more about it and, and how she could actually also place into making this process a little bit simpler to companies and, and to people to use distributed systems in general or just data projects in general. Yeah, thanks, Sabrina. And I was going to add to what Sage was saying. The like These are great tools with all of the of tools that Sage was mentioning. And then on Shakura, we integrate all of those in Ylabs and all these distributed systems that you can have a one line of code to spin up either Dask, Ray, or Spark systems so that for an individual developer that you don't have to worry about the setting up part. You just spin up the cluster and then start coding. Of course, on the on the monitoring and all these others, you have you can click on the application of the integrated tools and go into that dashboard to view it and then all managed in one place, like Sabrina said. Exactly. It's, it's very nice. And there are options other than Shikuro as well. Like Kevin said, I'm biased. I, I do think Shikuro is the best one. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think there are maybe a few open source ones that, that maybe you can do something similar. Not sure. But I think going over to the next question is um, how you think about applying this not how you think. Have you ever experienced this being applied on real-world situations? Which one is your favorite one or the one you think was most creative or the one that you worked on? Just some examples of some personal experience of you guys working with distributed systems. What have you seen around? I think we can start with Nicholas. What was your experience with distributed systems so far? And are there any nice examples for you to bring on distributed systems on action these days. Nicholas? 
Were you were you hearing me? I'm 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 here. I just cannot talk right now. So skip me and I will jump in at some point. I'm sorry. Oh no worries. We can do the same question. Let's go to Kevin then. Yeah, you, you know your your question is pretty interesting. So actually, I I have seen a lot like in my days in prefect, for example. So in prefect, I was a community focused engineer so i help people like adopt like you know prefects i would see their data pipelines and like their infrastructure and stuff like that and actually like a lot of people don't use let's say spark or kubernetes or something like that but they do something very similar that kind of reinvents the wheel like for example i've seen some people they chunk up their data and then they spin up maybe a hundred aws lambdas and then they combine the results later on. That's actually pretty distributed already. They just don't know it yet. And, you know, some people I think are too, they kind of are too good for their own self, like coding wise, in the sense that they're able to pull off these incredible things, but really like their life will be a lot simpler if they just use Spark instead and spin up a cluster. But in general, yes, coming from the data world, applications of, of distributed computings, Definitely, I think something that I'm seeing more is like before, I think we would have like just like one big machine learning model. Like think of like time series data, you're forecasting sales or something. We'd see like one machine learning model. And now I think what we're starting to see is like this kind of setup where maybe you're doing one model per region, one model per store or per product. Those types of problems are very good use cases for distributed computing. And this also applies to like what with why logs were you know which 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 sage talked about right where like date when you when it comes to data profiling and you're trying to like because why logs what they do is they profile your data and they kind of come up with a distribution of it right the distribution for like sales in california will not be the same as like the distribution for sales in texas right so it makes sense to profile them separately and maybe if you want to merge those profiles together, which Vylogs lets you do, you can also do that because of the because of the way they design their product. But in general, I think when it comes to applications for distributed computing, yes, big data is there, but we're also using it to actually deal with, like we actually are used to doing a good job of breaking up big data problems into a lot of smaller data problems and then treating those separately. Wow, that's amazing. And... Does anyone want to add anything? Stella, would you like to go? Yeah. I was going to say that's an interesting use case. Actually, we recently also encountered something like this. So you're, you, this the use case is they a customer need to train millions and millions of those small-scale models. It's not a large language model, but you know these days people still train XGBoost model because it's good performance on smaller data. And then but you have to train them very, very fast because your new data comes in even faster than your training time if you don't. And you have like store-wise data. You have to train on like each store, each location. And so basically every day train like millions of models and you have to distribute all those with the tuning as well. So at the end they were using Raytune on top of distributed so first you distribute the tuning, but then you distribute the training of the tuning, and then you distribute all the jobs. And they did that with perfect for the orchestration, and then log everything to, in this case, to, I think, either NLflow or YLabs. One of the things where you can visualize all the all of the results and consolidate them. So, yeah, that's really interesting that it's not a big data problem, but it's it's a speed problem. I also thought it was interesting. I think Kevin brought up, you know, some orgs start building their own solutions or at least kind of start thinking about the these big data problems and, and start kind of chunking up little pieces to do. And, and then it brings up another thing of like build, building internally versus, you know, buying or, or using an existing tool. And that's just something it's been interesting because the MLOps space is kind of rapidly being adopted or, or thought about way more and companies are start starting to look at, you know, monitoring solutions, for example, I mean, they might start building something out and then seeing that it's a little more complex to, to maintain or doesn't have certain features. And it just sparked an idea when Kevin was mentioning seeing a lot of companies, you know, starting to build apps or, or solutions internally. Yeah, that's a great discussion. And we do have a question from the audience here. This is from Hao Junko. 
hope I spelled that right. He's asking, can you talk about the importance of observability for distributed systems? So who would like to, to answer this one? Not to put him on the spot, but I think Sage should answer. I don't know. I, I like it. Oops. I like it when Kevin talks about why logs and my product instead. I mean, I, I can start <laughs> and, then, and then you can chime in. But I, I, I'll say when it comes to observability, I think there's two distinct definitions of it, depending on who you ask, right? So for some people, it's data observability. And for some people, it's infrastructure observability and like health of the cluster or something went down. And I will say that Ylogs is definitely on the data observability piece. But if you're asking about the infrastructure observability piece, I'll say this is definitely a challenge right now. Like, for example, like, I, you know, I can think of Dask off the top of my head, which doesn't have a native collection of like logs. So for example, the logs that happen, the logs that are generated by your workers don't necessarily make it back to the client, right? So it can be very hard to, to debug what happened on the worker side. And that's one of the challenges with distributed systems, like the lack of observability into the work that's happening. Or even like, let's say, I mean, Dask has good tools for like min, for checking, let's say, worker health, memory usage, and stuff like that. I believe Ray has as well. But I think if you have to, if you're already a, a user of these tools and you have to go to those dashboards to debug, it's already an uphill battle. And I say this like especially like with Spark, if you're looking at the worker logs and you're looking at the Java, Java stack traces, it's an uphill battle because like it's very, very hard to read. So I will say that on the, for the data frameworks, at least, it, that's why we want to bring debuggability to the local setting and bring stuff to native Python so that your stack traces are in native Python before you and before you bring stuff to these distributed systems. Now on observability on like, for example, like you have like a web app that's like on Kubernetes and you have backend, frontend, etc. For that, I haven't used it personally, but I've seen a lot of people using Prometheus to monitor the metrics for the, those kinds of things and just report back the status of, you know, the, the cluster pods or something like that. And then, yeah, for data observability, I'll, I will say that, like, yeah, we have tools that like Ylogs that you can easily write the profile of your data that's being processed into some S3 bucket for later, like, to check it later and see if everything went according to plan. Wow, I, I hope that answered your question, Raul. That, that was definitely... Uh, great answer. And, well, Stella, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I just like to chime in because the, the separation of data and infrastructure observability are quite thing. The, not interesting, like it's, it is the fact. And then at Shokudo, because we're in fact the managing all the infrastructure, it's important for us to have these visibility. What we actually used was Prometheus. And then with, mm, there's also the Grafana dashboard where you can visualize all the pods, health, and all the logs everywhere in real time, which is super important when you when you run those jobs. So when you don't get logs, you can always go there and see what's going on. But then the, the task level logs from task is still <laughs> the challenge. Yes, but yeah, there. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, amazing. I think we can also leave a little bit of room for. Sage to talk about wildlife and observability as well. Maybe talking a little bit about the, the challenges of creating and managing those problems or, or those types of models and how, how are you guys solving this and what are some nice examples of what's going on over there? Yeah, just to kind of reiterate or recap, like Ylogs is an open source data logging library that you can feed at a data set, you know, of different types of data that for, for this example, you could think of it just being like a tabular data set and a data frame or a Python object. And then you can create a profile of that data. So it kind of contains summary statistics of that whole data set. So it goes from being maybe a massive data set with you know thousands of rows or something like that into a really lightweight profile that just contains things like the quantile metrics or the, the min, the max, the mean, there's a little bit more to it than that, but kind of a, at a high level, you can think of it, it takes this large data set and then condenses it into kind of summary statistics. And then you can bucket that into like 
hours or days. And then you can compare those statistics against like other profiles or a reference profile or some sort of set values and understand just with that lightweight profile, like your data has experienced data drift, for example. So you can take these logs, there's built-in functions in the library to detect data drift just by comparing those logs together. So you can actually do that like in your Python environment if you wanted to. You could also do something called constraints. So you can check for data quality directly in that environment as well. So for example, you know, maybe you expect your data should never contain any values that are below zero, many negative values. And if it does, you know, don't even run the ML prediction for it or something like that, or, or throw some sort of error. But you can take those profiles and then you can write them, you know, to different systems. We have a platform called Y Labs, which is built specifically to ingest those profiles and makes it really easy to visualize what's going on in the dashboard. But like Kevin was saying, you know, you don't always want to spend a ton of time visualizing it. It's great to debug your model that way if you do have, you know, something complex that's happening there. Uh, but we also make it really easy to set up alerts. So if you had data drift happen, you know, on a certain day or hour or something like that, you can automatically send an alert to you via like email or Slack, or you can set up an integration with something like PagerDuty and kick off some sort of automated job. So I've done that in the past with like, you would uh, kick off, if you think drift happened, you could kick off an automated job that would go have, you know, outsource data annotators come in, annotate your data. And now you have ground truth for that data. Then you could do something like actual performance comparison with like accuracy or F1 score, whatever you want to calculate there. You could see, did your model accuracy actually drop? And if it did, now you have this new form of annotated data. So you could actually then train a new model using that new data and your old data. And then you could do something like a shadow deployment and then compare the performance of the current model that's in production with this new model. And then if it is performing better, then you could, you know, do something like a automated de deployment or often you have like a human in the loop kind of deployment. And wow. uh, part, part, of the part of the reason why the profiling is cool, just to mention real quick, is like if you have a distributed system and you need to send a, this profile back and forth between any systems, like I'd mentioned, it's super lightweight. So instead of sending the raw data that went somewhere, you could send this profile kind of anywhere. So it's cool for edge devices too. Like I'd mentioned doing computer vision work on edge devices, sending images is quite um, expensive if you're on like a mobile network or something like that. So you could actually just send these profiles see how your model's performing. And then if something did go awry, you could maybe go get that saved data that you have, but you're not gonna be sending every image. That's such a great introduction to, to YLabs. And this is something that is so helpful also for you to deploy any data project, any, any data application for you to be able to actually visualize what's going on and make your, deci make your decisions based on that. Also, I I'd like to have my next question here for Nicholas. If you're here with us now, just gives us, give us a thumbs up. Can you hear us? Got it. So Nicholas, when we talked before, you told me that you've worked with building distributed databases, right? So you worked with Apache Drill, with MapRDB. And I'd like you to tell us also a little bit about these tools. What do they do and why you were using them? Exactly what problems were you trying to solve? Yeah, okay. Particularly, like, MapRDB was part of like, one of our data platform, which again was like kind of like a Hadoop distribution similar to what you can see now to in like Cloudera or something like that. Way better though. <laughs> but it was it was acquired by Hewlett Packard Enterprise like two three years ago, so now it's part of like all the products in HP. But the point is like MapR database was like kind of like a distributed database that allow you to basically you know read and write data with high performance in a distributed environment in multiple kind of formats. So you have like a kind of like a version that was like similar to like you, you can write like binary data on it like the representation itself that was like extremely fast to read and write because it was like road oriented like kind of similar to a base also you have another version was like i mean the same version but the, 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 the different flavor of the data was kind of like json data which is i mean whatever you can see right now on mongodb or something like that but like it was behind the same 
the same database engine again like mobar have like very large customers i know i don't know if i can like name few right now but like they have like very large like hadoop like this i mean distributions like like thousands of nodes running um somewhere like on the cloud somewhere like on premise but like like mobar database in particular was like kind of like backbone for for the platform and it was like all distributed it was like you know mobile file system which also was a distributed file system as like similar to the this the hadoop file system like mobile was kind of like the backbone of like most of the platform and again like it, it was like used a database in in a sense but also supported like the other kind of like internal tools and, and platforms that like mobile had at the point so the nice part of it is like it also supported like all the open source api for spark for hbase for the hadoop distributed file system apache trio like like even even like apache kafka you can actually write streams to mobile database so yeah i mean you you can use it like for everything yeah it's like basically a database with really really high performance oh that that's amazing and we're talking about so many tools here that you can use to make your life easier when working with distributed computing and having things just done faster. I'd like also for you Kevin to talk more about Fugue since you know it's such an amazing tool really we integrate it in Chikuto and what are this problem that you're trying to solve with Fugue and some examples of stuff done with Fugue today if you can share with us. Yeah, so I I already touched on like this debuggability, right? So like one of the things we really advocate for is like testing as much as possible on your local setting and then bringing it to Spark Dust array when you're ready. But the actual second thing that that might be inter- interesting is uh, a while ago Nicholas mentioned like tooling has improved for distributed compute and one of the examples that he said was that we can now use like tools like SQL which are more accessible on top of these powerful engines like Spark or Dask, not yet Ray, but then for Spark and Dask, it's already there. So one of the things that Fugue does as well on the SQL side is, for example, you can prototype on your local machine using DuckDB, and when you're ready, you can bring it to Spark SQL because there's good parity between DuckDB and Spark SQL. And another thing that we also support is actually, and this can be a bit polarizing, but what I found in, you know, I mean, what we see in the in the data community is that there are some people who are very in love with SQL and there's some people who are very in love with Python slash pandas and don't want to use SQL at all. So it's very polarizing, but we actually think that the best way to, that the best thing to do is to integrate these together so that you can use them interoperably. And a good example of this is actually we released our Polars integration last night. So something you can do now inside Fugue is integrate DuckDB and Polars together, which is a very good fit because both are based on Apache Arrow. So you can just use them interchangeably, I mean interoperably, without having to copy data or convert data. So now you can have your SQL transformations in DuckDB, and then you can have more Python-based transformations in Polars, and you can call them together, like inside the Fugue SQL. Which is, an enhanced, which is an enhanced SQL interface that lets you invoke Python code inside your SQL. Well, that, that is amazing. And we know that tools like Spark and DuckDB are very, I think, popular choices when we're talking about distributed systems. And I know that there is quite a challenge in integrating all of these tools into your workflow, especially working with Spark along other tools and along other integrations. And I think Stella, you can talk more about this, but I, I think I'm looking here for the challenges that people usually face when working with these tools, especially Spark, DuckDB, actually putting them all into your workflow. Would you, would you like to talk about it, Stella or anyone on the panel? Oh, I think Kevin already talked a lot about all of those tools that quite amazing. I, for me, I, I think the amazing thing of DuckDB is it's integratable and really, really portable to, to integrate with many other systems and it's portable. On, you, can, you can basically take your 
take out the WDGAM plug into many other existing systems and it's blazing fast. That's just what, 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 it's, what it's for. And it's one of the examples of the arrow family, which is like an entire whole different species in this whole space. But it's great that these type of tools are coming out these days. I love this. And, and thank you guys so much for being here. This discussion has been amazing. And honestly, I'm done with all of my questions. If there's anyone in the audience who still wants to ask a question, feel free to request right now or leave it in the comments. For now, let's just do some closing remarks and thank all of the audience, all of the speakers. If you guys would like to also talk a little bit about maybe a project that you're working on or the next event that's upcoming and you'd, you'd like us to know, feel free to do so. Sage, any final remarks or things that you'd like to mention to everyone? I just want to say thank you so much for having me here. You always do great spaces, so excited to join one. And then, and thank you for everyone attending. And then the thing I'll just mention is I do a lot of workshops and events all the time. I think the past six weeks, I've done one every week. My next one is going to be April 12th, which is kind of an introduction to ML and data observability. So if, if what we talked about, about Ylogs or Ylabs seemed interesting, and you want to learn more about that, you could check it out. You can go to ylabs.ai slash events. Everything gets posted there. And then after that, I'm going to be doing a, a fun one, integrating with BentoML to do some some deployment and model serving. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much, Sage. Everyone check out all these cool stuff that Sage is working on. He definitely also puts out a lot of valuable content on MLOps. If you're looking for that, just follow him. And I think over to Nicholas. Nicholas, thank you so much for being here. Any closing remarks you'd like to, to tell everyone? I mean, not really. Like, have fun <laughs> building all the things. I think that we are like getting very productive with all the new tooling. Absolutely. Yeah, this is the point. Have fun while building it. That that will be an amazing experience. Ella, any final thoughts you'd like to share? No, thanks for all the guests coming here today. It was it was a great discussion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Any final things you'd like to say? Any events upcoming that, that you'd like to mention? Yeah, so number one for everyone, it's Sabrina's birthday. Greet her a happy birthday if you haven't yet. And then number two, I if you want, I'm happy to chat with anyone about anything distributed com computing related or even workflow orchestration with my last job at Prefect. My LinkedIn is in my Twitter bio and then just really happy to chat with anyone. And then number three, I'm going to PyData Seattle in, at the end of April. If you happen to be in Seattle, would love to connect. Thank you so much, Kevin. You just told everyone this is my birthday. So yeah, this is a very special space to me. Thank you so much for joining. And I see you guys on the next Big Data Small Talk. Bye-bye.